in the 1960 election, which is one of the closest elections of all time, Richard Nixon, the communist, anti-communist hero, goes up against John F. Kennedy. The two youngest people probably to ever run for Yes, president. yes. But Nixon's been around for so long. He's been the vice president for eight years that people don't even think of him as young, also because he's not as handsome. And that didn't used to matter. But in 1960, for the first time, people have televisions in their house and they hold a televised presidential debate. And Kennedy um, says when he shows up, I'm not going to wear makeup. And so Nixon says, I'm not going to wear ma- I'm not going to wear makeup either. Um, but uh, Kennedy had already put on makeup. So he looked great. Also, he was really handsome. Um, John F. Kennedy is uh, the second son of Joseph Kennedy, who's one of the wealthiest men of kind of the FDR generation. He's Irish, and um, he made his fortune, many people argue, off of bootlegging during Prohibition. Mm. And... Irish people were not considered to be white when they first came to America, and anti-Irish discrimination was not that far off in 1960. The Irish are still seen as a bunch of drunks, and they're also seen as a bunch of Catholics. And the United States um, was a country where the powerful, is to this day, a country where the most powerful people have historically been white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. And the Catholic Church was viewed with deep suspicion. Um, in part because of this sense that Protestantism is about individual people being allowed to make their own choices about their faith and therefore make their own choices about everything. Um, And Catholicism was seen as this like rigidly hierarchical um, system in which if the Pope said something, everyone had to do it. Um, But also because Catholics tended to be from Southern Europe and Italians and Spanish people and, you know, these groups of immigrants were often viewed as poorer and less desirable than the existing wealthy. So there's a class thing going on. Irish are folded into that, but they've come earlier than like Italians. And so when Kennedy runs for president, he has to make explicit speeches in which he says, I will not use the Pope as my guide in making decisions. He says like, the Pope is not higher than the job of being president, which today seems crazy for you to have to say, but it was a big deal. Um, His dad was one of these businessmen who sided with FDR in part because their feeling was to save the U.S. from communism, you had to build a middle class. Um, And he had really trained his kids from an early age that they were going to be involved in politics. He had four sons. Um, And the first one, Joe Kennedy, Um, died, uh, was killed in World War II. And everyone expected that Joe Kennedy Jr. was going to be president. So when he dies, John F. Kennedy is like the next in line. And so he starts a political career in Massachusetts um, with a lot of help from his dad. He becomes a senator when he's a young, handsome war veteran who had... um, been given medals for real bravery, like saving a man's life um, in the Pacific. Um, 
and his dad got a ghostwriter to write a book called Profiles in Courage about different senators who had taken important stands. Um, and he is viewed as a new generation, even though he's like the same age as Nixon, he really frames himself as like part of this post-war generation. Um, which with Eisenhower, it's like, yeah, we're just right after World War II, but Kennedy is seen as this marker of like this new time. And in part it's because of television and in part it's because he framed himself. Yeah. Um, it's a really close election. Kennedy ends up winning in part with the help of some cheating that happens in Chicago, um, which is a big immigrant, especially Irish town, where there's political machines that are able to like fudge election numbers. And famously, they go back and find that a bunch of the people who voted for Kennedy in Illinois uh, were dead at the time, and their names were just being put on the voter rolls. So Nixon feels like he got robbed, um, and he probably did. Um, but it was that close that some dead people in Chicago made a difference. Some dead people in Chicago made a difference. <laughs> Who was going into writing this? Irish mobsters? Eh, no, it's probably more. Co- I mean, Chicago political machines are like urban systems of corruption that have very loyal, usually Democratic. Um, like foot soldiers who go out and make sure that everybody shows up to vote. And in this case, some of those people were probably told, why don't you go back again and vote um, for this person? Now, that kind of thing doesn't really happen now. Uh, we don't have almost any evidence that, that voter fraud in this form occurs, like maybe hacking of machines, but actually people go, we have enough systems now that this doesn't happen, but Republicans are still really paranoid about it. And part of it is because this happened in 1960. Um, and uh, so Kennedy comes to office. He's glamorous. His wife is this beautiful woman on the side. He's having so much sex with women who aren't his wife. Um, and the press just kind of lets that go and doesn't really talk about it, including Marilyn Monroe, who's the most famous actress in the country. Can you imagine if it turned out that Barack Obama was sleeping with, like, Kim Kardashian? Like, that's... Like it would Emma Stone. Emma Stone? And, that, and if that came out, and then the press just was like, let's just not cover that. It shows how the relationship between the journalists and the White House was different. And um, one of the first things that Kennedy does is he inherits this question about what to do with Castro from Eisenhower. And Eisenhower, as he was leaving office, was planning this invasion of Cuba with the help of the CIA. It wasn't actually like US troops on the ground. It was a bunch of anti-Castro Cubans and CIA forces who were gonna go in and try to take out Castro. And Kennedy and Eisenhower says, you should go ahead with this plan. And Kennedy has some questions, but he decides to do it. And part of it is because as a Democrat, he needs to continually prove the fact that he's anti-communist. Um, but he also was pretty anti-communist. Um, so he does the invasion. Everybody thinks it's gonna work. It's a total failure. Castro um, totally defeats um, the Cuban immigrants. They have to go back to Miami where they end up being this like huge force in Florida politics for generations but are never really able to challenge Castro effectively again. Um, and it's a big embarrassment um, for Kennedy. Um, so Kennedy, so remember, right before Kennedy takes office, after they already know that Kennedy's being elected, this is when Eisenhower gives that speech about the military-industrial complex. And one way to view what's happening in Kennedy's 
time is that it really is a fight between the power of the military and the intelligence services who've been directing a lot of the country for a long time, and this guy, John F. Kennedy, who really comes from outside of that system. He is a military man, but he's so young and hasn't been in these systems. Um, And he also, in many ways, was an independent thinker. Um, He made his brother, Bobby Kennedy, the attorney general, and that was a little bit odd. Um, And he and Bobby Kennedy and his chief of staff, who was like another Boston guy, um, they so he and his brother and his like close circle of advisors are skeptical of the military, particularly after the Bay of Pigs invasion. And it's interesting because Bay it's, of Pigs is the failed thing. Is the failed invasion of Cuba, yeah. But there's this view of the military that Kennedy is inexperienced and young and he doesn't really know what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had expected this guy Lyndon Johnson to be president. Lyndon Johnson at the convention was like the old school politician who'd been in charge of the Senate for years. And Lyndon Johnson was close with the military. And um, it was kind of shocking that Kennedy pulled it off in part through his like charisma and looks and in part through a desire for generational change. But uh, Kennedy does pick Johnson to be his vice president, um, although they don't really trust each other. Um, And he's not tight in on the discussions that that his brother Bobby and others are. And these discussions are really important when a huge crisis takes place in his second year in office, um, which is the Cuban Missile Crisis. And the Cuban Missile Crisis happens in the context of the failed Bay of Pigs invasion. So after that failed invasion, um, the Soviet Union is interested in continuing to protect Castro, um, who is communist but is ultimately mostly a figure of um, Cuban nationalism and anti-American sentiment because Cuba was another one of those Latin American countries that had dictators that were put in place to protect U.S. corporations. And Fulgencio Batista, who was overthrown, was basically a puppet of the U.S. And so it's very embarrassing to the United States to have a place 90 miles from them that is run by a communist dictator, and the Soviets know that. And so they decide as a way of protecting Castro from future invasion to put a set of nuclear missiles in Cuba. And the U.S. has these spy planes called U-2s that fly over Cuba and other places, and they get photographs that show that these missiles are starting to be put in place. And the classic version of events is that then there's a showdown between Kennedy and um, Khrushchev, who's the head of the Soviet Union at this point. He's taken over after Stalin died. And that it's a question of, like, who's going to back down? And ultimately, the Soviet Union backs down, and Kennedy's a hero. And that is the story that was told at the time. But I think the real story, if you look behind closed doors, was that it was a showdown between Kennedy and his own military advisors. Because the reaction of these military advisors who date back to the Truman era um, and the Eisenhower era is, those missiles are there, we need to get them out no matter what, and we're going to invade to do it with U.S. troops. Kennedy feels that doing this is really reckless, that it could easily escalate into a nuclear conflict. Um, But he doesn't want to appear weak to the public, especially after this failed Bay of Pigs invasion. And the military basically feels that, like, 
he's the president, but he doesn't have a choice. This is how things are done, and this is what we're going to do. And so there's all these incidents in which, like, members of the military try to provoke a conflict. They, like, send planes in there, and then the planes get shot at. And Kennedy personally, or his close, you know, Boston friend advisors, like, call the pilots who were in the planes and say, don't tell anyone that you got shot. And so there's even this story of a guy who has bullet holes through his plane telling his own military leaders, mm, those are birds. Because basically the military is like, we're going to provoke a conflict so that we can finally have this showdown with the Soviet Union here in Cuba, right? And Kennedy opts for a blockade instead. Now it's illegal under the UN to blockade another country um, without provoking war. That's an act of war. So instead he says it's a quarantine and that they're checking for any health issues. <laughs> and so they put these ships all around Cuba because there's more missiles and things being brought in and the missiles aren't operational yet. And the question is like, are those ships going to turn around or not? Um, and behind closed doors, he's engaged in negotiations with Khrushchev through like back channels, but ultimately also through a set of letters sent via like teletype between the two of them. And they get one letter from Khrushchev in which he's offering a deal. And basically the deal is if you remove your missiles in Turkey, where the U.S. had missiles, we'll remove these ones here. But then two days later... Um, they get another letter in which he says, there's no deal, we're going, like, I'm not listening to you. And there's a question inside the Kennedy administration, like, which of, what happened? Why did these letters switch? And some of them think that there's been a coup in uh, the Soviet Union and that Khrushchev's not in power anymore. Um, but ultimately, Kennedy and his brother Bobby negotiate a deal in which the U.S. will remove the missiles from Turkey, but they will not announce that they're doing that. They'll, so the Soviet Union has to just announce that they're pulling the missiles out of Cuba. And the U.S. gets to look like they succeeded in doing this. And then later they'll pull the missiles out of Turkey. And they'll promise never to invade Cuba. Wait, but I thought the deal turned. I thought they didn't have the deal with removing the Turkey. So they decide to respond, just to the, they decide to respond as if just the second letter never came. never came. And does that actually work? Yes. That is so weird. Because it was a letter that was sent by not Khrushchev. They, get, uh, they have people analyze the writing style. And the other one was sent... So inside of the Soviet Union, and I don't know the full story of this, there's also a power struggle going on between the military leaders right. and um, the president or the premier. But how are they communicating? Isn't there a better way to communicate where it's not just like any letter that comes to the White House could be from Russia? After the Cuban Missile Crisis, they... Um, they put in place the red phone where they right. can actually talk to each other. Right. It's directly after this because they're like, that wasn't a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> so another thing that I learned later that is important to understand the Cuban Missile Crisis is that there were already submarines in place with nuclear missiles that could have destroyed the entire United States already. So putting the missiles in Cuba doesn't actually change the safety of the American people in a real way. It just feels worse. Mm -hmm. It's symbolic. But... When you start looking at it that way, the whole thing starts to feel like this weird masculinity game that's yeah. going on, it's which is so much of the Cold War. Yeah. So much of the Cold War is like, they have enough nuclear missiles to destroy us 30 times. We have enough to destroy them 40 times. Like, what is the point of that? Right. Well, 
it's about power. And I think a lot of it is about like weird masculinity stuff. It's all white guys in that room, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, he's an incredible public speaker, you know? Uh, he gives these speeches that are riveting where he talks about the idea of a new frontier, which is rooted in this idea that like what defines America, which I talked about a little bit last time, like what defines America is the frontier. And so he says the new frontier is going to be science and education and medicine. Like we're going to move forward. And he says, we're going to put the first man on the moon, which sometimes I feel like the space race, which starts under, well, actually it starts under Eisenhower when Sputnik is like this satellite put in space. But the space race is another sort of bizarre showdown. Like, why is it a race to go? Like, why are we going to space? Sometimes I think, what if instead of the space race, it had been like, who can build the largest muffin? Like, to some extent, it's... who can cure cancer? That would have been nice. But no, it was just shooting pieces of metal with people in them into space. And Kennedy says he's going to do that, and he's going to do it faster than the Russians, right? It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Kennedy's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. People love him, right? But they also love him because we don't really get to find out what happens because he gets shot three years into being president. And um, we could dig into the theories as to why he is shot. Did the communists do it? Was he involved with some mafia people through his dad that then turned on him and wanted to kill him? Did Castro do it? Or the theory that is perhaps most interesting, did the CIA or members of the military um, secretly do it? Because the other thing that's going on during Kennedy's administration is the escalation uh, of this kind of covert war in Vietnam, which is getting bigger and bigger with like military advisors being sent in. There's still no declaration of war, but there's a lot of U.S. troops who are on the ground trying to suppress this communist insurgency in North Vietnam led by Ho Chi Minh, who since the 1920s has been trying to get Vietnam to be an independent country from France. And at this point, like many nationalist leaders, has embraced communism both to get the support of poor people within his country and to have the support of the Soviet Union since the United States is not going to support nationalist leaders because the United States is allied with England and France who are the colonial powers that you know these people are trying to overthrow. So Ho Chi Minh becomes like the Castro of Asia. Um, but Kennedy, and perhaps this is related to his experience in Cuba, is kind of skeptical that the United States should get militarily further involved in Vietnam, even though these generals, who again are kind of Truman Doctrine, Eisenhower style, we are going to control the world and we're going to make all sorts of changes. Um, he doesn't, Kennedy doesn't trust them. And so there's recordings and, and um, orders that he was giving behind closed doors in which he was saying, let's wind down this war in Vietnam. This is not a good thing. And the military was very against that. As was Lyndon Johnson, mm-hmm. who's the vice president. And so there are people who believe that Kennedy being assassinated is an inside job by people in the military who have been burned by this guy and think, let's get our guy into office. Now, we will probably never know. Lee Harvey Oswald is the guy who kills him. He's a sort of loner guy who had studied in the Soviet Union um, and was 
in that way, like associated with the communists. But then people say, what was he, was he actually a communist? Like, how did this work? He's all, he'd also had, had contacts himself with the CIA. Um, but he was viewed as sort of a crazy person who acted alone. That was the story. Mm -hmm. But what's weird is, so he shoots Kennedy from, so Kennedy is campaigning for Mm reelection and he's in Texas, which Texas is, um, Lyndon Johnson's home state, but it was also viewed as a state that was really anti-Kennedy. There were a lot of people who were really angry at Kennedy. And in part, it was because the other thing that Kennedy did while he was president was become the first president to give a speech actually arguing, arguing for the Civil Rights Act, that laws should be passed that would force the South to desegregate. And so people in Texas and other parts of the South really hated him for that. But he And Dallas was viewed as one of the most hostile cities. But he goes there to give a speech, and he's in this open motorcade, and he's sitting in the back of a convertible, and suddenly he's shot. Now, there's all sorts of weirdness about the bullets that shot him, because somehow with three shots, Oswald manages to kill Kennedy and paralyze um, the governor of Texas, or the mayor of Dallas, um, and, but two of the bullets basically miss. And so there's this one bullet that's called the magic bullet thesis where it like, it has to like go in through his head, down through his body, out into the air, then in for it to work in the air, the bullet has to turn around, go back into him and then into the other guy. And so a lot of people are like, that's just not possible. There must've been other people shooting from another direction. Um, but we've never had any proof of that. Um, And part of the reason we can't figure it out is because no one ever got to really interview Lee Harvey Oswald because two days after he um, shot the president, he was being transferred, maybe even less than two days, he was being transferred from one jail to another and a guy walks up and kills him. That guy's name was Jack Ruby, who was a nightclub owner who had some mafia connections, which is what part makes some people think it had to do with the mafia. But Jack Ruby never explains why he did that. He says, you killed my president, you bastard, and then shoots him. But it's like, there is clearly something going on here. There, something happened with the Kennedy assassination, and we'll probably never know what it was. But in any other country, I think we just wouldn't accept the idea that it was random. And most, and probably a majority of Americans don't accept that it was random either. But there is something about the United States where we're like, we just don't look at other countries' political systems as an example. And the idea that people within the U.S. government could plan this seems crazy.